Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Football Social Daily. Manchester City move into second by beating Brentford. Arsenal are away from the Premier League in Porto, so Liverpool are looking to use that as leverage when they host Luton. It's tight in the top flight title race. This is Football Social Daily, all of the big Premier League news and discussion taking centre stage on this show. And we've got our usual excellent cast of Joel Tudor and Marley Anderson. Morning, boys. Good morning. Good morning. I didn't even realise the Champions League fixtures were on yesterday, by the way. It just kind of crept up to us once again. Do you reckon that was because there was a Premier League game? Pre- Premier League games and Champions League games on the same night just do not mix. It's like mixing oil and water, isn't it? It just doesn't go together at You've all. You've got no interest in the Champions League anymore, have you, Joe? Neither of you. For a while now. Gone for, for another a while. season. I'm used to it. <laughs> Definitely not for me now. You're used to bouncing out like Copenhagen or something, but not this year. Well, I tell you what, lads, we're not going to talk about the Champions League just yet because there was some breaking news last night. Do you remember this from a couple of weeks ago? Every 50-50 or tight decision... Goes, goes against us and if that's what we're going to have to deal with between now and the end of the season we're going to have to deal with but I'm not just going to go go under under the radar and not say anything I've been to see the referee I've told him that um, one of his assistant assistants was eating a sandwich at the time I thought that was a complete lack of respect uh, hopefully he enjoyed his sandwich while he was talking to a Premier League manager <laughs> it still makes me laugh every single time that was Chris Wilder complaining after going into the referee's room after a game a few weeks back and uh, suggesting that the referees were disrespectful for eating a sandwich in front of him. You cannot be chewing on a sandwich in front of the manager of Sheffield United Football Club. Well, it was a a rather expensive comment he made about the referee's sandwich because it's cost him £11,500 in FA fines. (laughs) I know that you two like to bully me about my prawn sandwich. I sent you both the statistic in the group chat yesterday and I worked out that it would have bought 4,991 prawn mayo sandwiches from Tesco. So... (laughs) That's a, that's a waste of sandwiches, in my opinion, and a lot of sandwiches that the FA can now buy for that assistant referee, so I bet he's absolutely buzzing. I don't know what is worth a fine of 11 and a half grand. Um, you could at least have a point to your uh, to your argument if you were <laughs> you know, going to have that that level of fine, but instead he just came across like an absolute dipstick, didn't he? Just moaning about all the 50-50s go against us, which in itself doesn't even make sense. Um, and then the whole, oh, I'm the Premier League manager, you should treat me with respect. And as we said at the time, you went into his office, he could be doing whatever he wants. He could be in the bath, he could be doing a jigsaw, he could be ironing anything he wants. It's his room. <laughs> it's not your room, Chris. 
So to to come in and out like that, I didn't really have that um, sense from him that he's a bit egotistical. But you know, the, those uh, quotes have, have changed everything. I think he was just annoyed, wasn't he? Yeah, it's probably one of the things where you did an interview just at the wrong time. You were just, you know, you got to be in your bonnet and someone sticks a microphone in your face and you start coming out with all that stuff and. Now it looks like a an absolute dipstick that's um eleven and a half thousand pounds down. Um <laughs> which is oh, it's incredible. Well he mentioned a lack of respect towards him as a Premier League manager. So I wanted to ask you boys, after what we saw in the away end during West Ham's defeat to Nottingham Forest at the weekend, was David Moyes shown a lack of respect? Now, we've spoken a few times in the last couple of weeks about David Moyes and his future at West Ham, the style of play versus the fact that he's won them silverware and got them consistently in the top 10 of the Premier League. Was that Moyes out banner distasteful? As much as we've spoken about there's maybe a split in the West Ham fan base, I didn't think it deserved a Moyes out banner. I think it's so confusing because if you were to plonk someone who'd never watched football into that football ground and said, what do you think that manager's doing for these fans to put that banner up in their way? And like, what would you think his situation was? They would all probably say he's probably 19th in the league. He's gone against the fans. He said something about the fans. There's a toxic atmosphere around the club. And then you look at the actual situation, the what, eighth or ninth in the Premier League, they're still in the Europa League, like I said in the last podcast. I think it's just disrespectful, to be honest, because West Ham fans forget just how poor they were when Moyes actually arrived to the club and just how much of a transition they've had to go through, especially losing so many key personnel. And they probably will again this summer as well. I'm sure that you know the likes of Jared Bowen and Luca Paquet will be on a lot of wish lists come June, July. And... Also, the fact that he's only got, what, four months left of his contract. It's not as if he's still got to do another three years of time. It's like he's in the slammer still trying to do finish his sentence or something and they can't kick him out. At the end of the season, it could be a really amicable process where they have a respectable finish in the league. Europa League, you know what? Who knows in a knockout competition? It really can come down to just pot luck and just a little bit of belief as you get to the quarterfinals and the semi-finals that anything can truly happen in those competitions and that's why I'm just thinking the best might still to become for these uh, West Ham fans and how stupid will they look if that is the case will they still have that banner out if they win if they reach the quarterfinals of the Europa League or the semi-finals is that going to still be out if they get to the final of the Europa League somehow and is that going to still be a Moyes out banner I mean I think it's just so fickle and I think a lot of West Ham fans are on the side of wanting change, but not to the point of almost disrespecting a guy who's brought you some of the best years of their fan you know, experience at West Ham. It's been a long time since they've enjoyed something. So that's where I am at it, to be honest. I just think it's ridiculous. Um, unless it was a totally different situation where he was so disrespectful to the fans and they were in 19th, 20th position. Okay, fair enough. If the owners are not taking stock of that, then they're clearly bewildered in what they're looking at in terms of change but they're not in that situation so I don't understand it he has presented this sort of attitude that he's the best manager West Ham have had in a long while and you know what I can understand why he thinks that Marley but it can come across as a little bit abrasive in press conferences sometimes I'm not saying David Moyes should be super humble but what I'm saying is it can rub fans up the wrong way when you sit there in a press conference reacting to some of this negativity by going I don't think anyone else can do a better job there's a difference between being self-confident and coming across as slightly arrogant 
What do you think? Yeah, that's the thing for me that um, that shocked me about this situation. Like, there's there's fans that want him out and stuff, <clears throat> and whether you think that's justified or not is is you know up in the air really. Um, probably harsh, but Moyes is the way he came out. He was like, right, screw it. You know, I'm the best you've had type of thing, and he's got a came out fighting like a you know like a, a caged a cornered animal type of thing like he, he went for it and he was like well i'm the best they've had like it or not this football has got them and he pulled out the european trophy line and then you know obviously how we still don't sort of rate the conference league as a proper a proper trophy but until it's not a trophy it's a trophy it's a european trophy so um, the fact of the matter is, West Ham haven't won anything practically ever since, you know, all our lives. West Ham have never been a trophy-winning team. Got to the final of the FA Cup a few years ago, um, you know, 20, 18 years ago, whatever it was, 2005 when Gerard scored that goal, was it? I can't remember. To put this um, into context, Jim Salverson, who's featured on this podcast loads of times over the years, he's a West Ham fan, and he said that his greatest day supporting West Ham was the day Steven Gerrard smashed in a couple of goals past Shaka Hislop and won Liverpool the FA Cup at the Millennium Stadium. That is kind of encapsulating the success that West Ham have had over the years that a supporter's favourite memory is losing the FA Cup final. Yeah, like we nearly got there type of thing. Um, I, I'm i torn. I'm torn on the situation because I, on, the, on, the, on paper, he's won your trophy. He's got you to... Um, the top six is it twice I think it's got your genuine sort of top half from relegation battlers um they were they were in trouble when he came in they were 17th 16th always looking over their shoulder and seeing who was if there was three teams in the league worse than them um and since then they've obviously massively improved so he's done a good job but also I do think to take West Ham on to the next level there needs to be somebody somebody different somebody with a Maybe a bit of a better um, style of football. Um, somebody who can attract sort of better players um, and have a bit more of a more of a pull. Because um, at the minute, I just think the 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 wasting, um, well, the waiting for Paqueta to get an offer off a big club, and they won't be they'll be powerless to resist it because he'll he'll look around and say, "I'm not sitting here finishing eighth and ninth when." You know, there was the rumours of Man City wanting him in the summer. Um, why would you ever turn that down at, at, at West Ham? Unless there's a, a proper a vision and a, an ambition to genuinely be top six and, and winning trophies and challenging for European spots. That is hard. It's going to be hard to turn down. I'm not sure Moyes is the man to do that, but it still doesn't take away from the fact that he's He's had great success at West Ham, and it's just it's the fickle nature of football that that fans always want the next the next thing. And if your style and your face doesn't quite fit, they'll they'll whip out the bedsheets with you know Moyes out printed on them in in paint and stuff like that. And it's it all ends a bit sour because Moyes is thinking, "You ungrateful bunch! I've delivered more than you could ever expect me to deliver." Show me some respect. Final question on this then, before we talk about the Premier League game last night involving Manchester City and this gripping title race that we seem to be in the midst of. With West Ham, do they have the players, do they have the ability to change manager 
freshen up the brand, play a more silky, attractive style, and still finish in the top 10 and still win the Europa League? Do they have the capability to do that? Well, that's that's the million dollar question. Isn't it? There's no there's no guarantee. I'd say I'd say no. If if I had to say yes or no, I'd say no. Like, are they good enough to be better than what they are? No, Paqueta is, and I think I think I honestly think he's the massive um, key to West Ham. They I think some of them think they're better than they are because they've got Lucas Paqueta, who is a genuinely one of the best players in the league. You could probably argue. Um, and he's way above everyone else. But when you've got Lucas Paqueta in the team and you've got Vladimir Soufal, sometimes the, the average is between them. And sometimes the average is players like Kurt Zuma, who they think is brilliant. I think he's shocking. Like He switches off so many times as a defender. You just don't want that. And it's like, I, I just feel like, you look at the squad and you think, oh, he, like Kudus is great. He's had a great start to, to his time. And Paquette is fantastic. But they haven't got a proper striker. And that's one of the problems with Moyes. He can't seem to get a tune out of any of his strikers. Antonio has done well for the last few years, but he's not a proper striker. He's not He's not going to be West Ham striker for the next three or four years. So they want someone else. They had Haller. He's He was always fantastic, but couldn't fit at West Ham for some reason. Ended up getting benched for Antonio, then going on to Ajax and Dortmund and scoring tons of goals. Um, so it's uh, it's 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 a strange one, but there's no, like I said, there's no guarantee at all that they're going to get better if Moyes um, if Moyes gets the gets the boot. Well, some West Ham fans are a little bit disappointed with the way things are going under David Moyes. There was a big Moyes out banner in the away end at the City Ground at the weekend, but seems a bit split still between Moyes in and Moyes out. Next on Football Social Daily, we talk about the Premier League game last night in which there was a bit of frustration also in the stands at the Etihad as Brentford took on Manchester City, another game in this exciting title race. We'll talk about it after this. This is FSD, Football Social Daily, an award-winning Premier League podcast with me, Niall, Joel Tudor and Marley Anderson. And last night there was a Premier League game. It was Manchester City against Brentford and Brentford frustrated City, Joel. But eventually Erling Haaland broke through to secure all three points for Pep Guardiola's side. And in a title race, which is this tight... That's a really big win for Manchester City. Yeah, and it took 70 minutes as well for them to score that goal. So it just shows, I think there's so many twists and turns to come in the Premier League because Brentford, early on, they had a one-on-one that they easily could have put themselves ahead with as well. Had a few decent chances. Uh, but obviously Man City as well. One thing I want to say, Oscar Bob, I'm so annoyed that they've managed to have a reincarnation of Leroy Sane because he is so flipping good. Like, I'm so jealous that they have a winger coming through like that. Not as good as Garnacho, mind, but he is good. <laughs> it just and... had to slot that in there. <laughs> Don't want to go too over the bi- uh, non-biased Ten times the player Garnacho is. Are you mad? I honestly don't think Garnacho is that good. Oh, of my... I wouldn't anyway. say he's ten times as good as Garnacho, though. I think that's a little bit of a stretch. All right, six times as good as Garnacho. Marley, your agenda <laughs> oh, is agendering really badly right now. It's not. It's really I bad. I honestly don't think Garnacho affects the game for 90 minutes enough. Oh, my God. You'll do one or two like amazing things and it's like, oh, great. How have we descended into a debate about who's better between Garnacho and Oscar Bob when all you were basically saying is... Oscar Bob's a good player. Because Marley's trying, to, Marley's trying to rile me up. I just said... No, you've, you've, you mentioned that Garnacho was better. Yes. 
You're the one who's, uh, better. who's going all... Objectively, Garnacho is better. Right, we'll put a poll in the group chat. I know there's more no. Man City fans in the group chat, so this is going to be completely skewed. Bob's had less Premier League games than Garnacho's had goals in the Premier League. They've both won goal of the month once each. It's a, it's a fair uh, fair comparison. <laughs> you tell me which one was better. <laughs> Oscar Bob's was better. Oh, right, on. it's going in the Telegram the chat. We'll Newcastle? put a poll. Who's better, yeah. <laughs> Oscar Bob or Alejandro Garnacho? Have yours say. The link is in the description to the group chat, so go and give it a click. It's free to download the app, and we'll stick it in there a little bit later after the podcast. Can I get back to my point? Please on, do, because you took us on a bloody tangent. <laughs> <laughs> Right, so yeah, with Manchester City, I mean, I'm surprised that it took 70 minutes to actually get the goal initially. Looking at Erling Haaland as well, for example, it's quite crazy the criticism he's got this season. He's on 17 goals in February, which is the highest of any player. He's been injured for what a good month and a half. And even still, I know he has set himself such a precedent, which is so high. I think coming in in your first season and and breaking and shattering every single record possible, there's only downwards from there, isn't there really? Unless you can keep getting better and better and better. That's what makes a top world-class player. But I still think regardless, I mean... Why that, can that, I hear someone's heartbeat? I can as well. I think it's coming from you, Marley. Yeah, I can see it going every two seconds. This is the weirdest thing that's ever happened on Football Social Daily. Honestly, <laughs> in five years of podcasts, this is the strangest thing that's ever happened. Marley's heart is somehow being picked up by the microphone. Oh my God, it is as well. What What's the that? Joel, you're just going to have to plough on, mate. His blood pressure's risen after that Garnacho comment. <laughs> Do you remember uh, FIFA Street back in the day when you used to get a game breaker on FIFA Street? Yeah, with Crouch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just see that massive guy just doing an overhead kick. Um, but yeah, I think when you look at the table now, um, what's the name at Harland? Yeah, but looking at uh, Erling Harland, I mean, he is the person that's going to probably dig City out of the depths in some of these games where they need a goal because he's just so clinical uh, looking at the table now I mean two points separating third and first it is going to go to the wire this one isn't it yeah it absolutely is and you know it's just a sign of how close things are that Brentford who have been struggling this season have really frustrated Manchester City and because of that 1-1 draw with Chelsea the pressure definitely was on Pep Guardiola's team to get that result and with Liverpool playing Luton tonight it just cranks it up again even more this title race Marley is looking really exciting yeah it is um you know the City dropping points in the last game against Chelsea was um the thing that opened it up a bit um because you're all expecting you know City to go on a run and and what have you so it's um I think it's one point separating them now if if they win that game in hand and all three games, all three teams are separated by a point. So it's um it's pretty tight. I still don't think City are playing the best football yet. Um they still not labour, but they don't quite look the the full sort of free selves yet. Like used to we used to seeing them hit like fourth or fifth gear around this time of season. Um but I think at the minute they're in sort of second going into third it's like they're winning but sometimes making our deal of it um Brentford a perfect example of that and you know if Nathan Collins doesn't slip does Haaland even get that chance because the the ball to him is not great um the touch sort of makes Collins change direction too quick and obviously the greasy pitch he slips and 
you know, the rest is inevitable when Haaland goes one on one. So it's um it's fine margins at the minute and you you're not used to seeing um City win one nil at home against a, a team, you know, like Brentford who were down there scrapping. Ben Mee makes another great clearance off the line, which is he must be like the Premier League all time leader for goal line clearances, Ben Mee. I've never seen anyone get the ball off the line like him. It's absolutely incredible, but um, yeah, it's just small, little nickety wins type of thing. Like they're, they're grinding it out at the minute, um, which is obviously, as the cliche goes, a sign of a sign of champions. And they're still favourites for the league, especially with what they've done in the past um, the past three years as well. I'm desperately Googling to figure out who has the most goal line clearances in the Premier League. Actually, Ben Mee was third back in 2021, which is the most recent list I could find with 11 goal line clearances. So presuming he's made a few more goal line clearances since then, you actually might be spot on with your statistic there of most goal line clearances in the Premier League from one There's player. actually been, um, um, on Twitter, there's been a video going around of Ben Mee um, and it's the clip of Cristiano Ronaldo um, at the Ballon d'Or Awards and they say I think it's him and Hazard and the interviewer says who's the best player in the world and Hazard says Maradona and then um, Ronaldo says me but somebody's edited it into all Ben Mee's best defending <laughs> so it's but it's all goal line clearances it's all him just reading the game and just having just getting crazy like shots off the line and then so that goes sort of viral and then it, and he does another one last night and I'm just thinking this guy's pound for pound Ben Mee is probably one of the best defenders we've seen in the last 10 years he, he's barely cost anyone anything has he crazy that you watch Ben Mee montages in your spare time it's, it's on Twitter mate I'm a social media pro this one is I see everything I see the I see the comparisons between Garnacho and uh, and Oscar Bob from all the deluded uh, Man United fans <laughs> Well, we're going to have to make do with Marley's heartbeat for the rest of the podcast, I reckon, because we've got no idea where that's coming from. So sorry about that. If it's doing your head in, you'll have to stick with us and uh, let our opinions do your head in instead. Because Liverpool take Luton on tonight at Anfield, Joel. Now, Luton have given all of the big boys a run for their money. Chelsea were three goals up at Kenilworth Road and they were scratching around at the end trying to cling on to that victory. Manchester United were getting peppered by the end. And I know that both of those games were at Kenilworth Road. This one's at Anfield, so it's a slightly different proposition. I mean, we're expecting Liverpool to win, no doubt, but Luton will give them a good go. I think for Luton, if there was any time to play Liverpool, it's actually right now, considering the injury concerns that Liverpool have at the moment. I know that Alisson's out. Jota's going to be out for a couple of months. Trent Alexander-Arnold's out. There's just a number of concerns going round in that squad. And although it probably won't even make a difference in terms of their output, because obviously Salah's come back and he made a difference in the last game. Nunez was really good as well. I don't think it should cause too much of concern, but it's the games where they're going to have much higher quality to come up against. And the Liverpool, they just need to get to that international break quick now, I think, because the biggest loss is probably Alisson. Uh, he's the basis of their build-up play. He's... You know, probably the best goalkeeper in the world, you would arguably say. To lose someone like that at this business end of the season and to rely on Kelleher, it's not the, the it's not the greatest of security to have at the back. But I think for Luton, 
like you say, because it's not a Kenilworth road, it does make the task a lot harder, like we mentioned uh, in the last podcast, especially because of the dimensions of the pitch as well. I just think their players struggle a little bit more when it comes to that, whereas at Kenilworth road, it's so tight and compact that they can play their own game and disrupt the other team's game. But I think for, for Liverpool, it is a bit of a, let's say, worrying time coming into these next couple of weeks with the amount of injuries they've got piling up. Well, Manchester City moved into second by beating Brentford last night, so they're just a point behind Liverpool. If Liverpool win, that makes the gap four points and you'd expect them to win even with even with a weakened team against Luton. If they don't win, that leaves a door open for Manchester City and for Arsenal, who we'll talk about in a bit, who are in Champions League action tonight, to close the gap. So we could see Liverpool go from being sort of with a healthy points cushion at the top of the table to possibly third in the next two game weeks. That's how close it is. Do we think it's going to sustain itself though? Because although we've still got we've got thirteen more games and a lot obviously a lot can happen in thirteen games, but I feel like when one team starts to bridge that six point gap, for example, I've got a feeling one of them's going to drop off, almost like in a horse race. Well, the difference between Manchester United in sixth and Brighton in seventh is six points, and then the difference between Wolves in eleventh and Fulham in twelfth is six points. So you've got like three separate segments of the Premier League. It seems to have branched into three different um, sort of mini leagues, if you will. It's a competitive one this year. I think for a change, it's a little bit nicer to see the top a little bit more closely contended than the relegation places, which just seems to be the case every single season. Um, but I think for the health of the Premier League, it's just really good to just see new competition. Even when you look at Aston Villa, for example, I mean, who would have thought that they'd be in on or around the Champions League places and I think they still will be in and around it when it comes to you know the final five games of the season so is it it's going to be I think it's going to be I know we always say it every season at this stage and then when it gets to the last three games suddenly the gap has bridged that much that only one team can potentially get into the top four and one team can go down so I'm just hoping that it remains like this until the end of the season hopefully well it does seem like it's going to be pretty exciting I'm not going to lie and it's also going to be exciting in the Champions League if you're an Arsenal fan because they've got Porto tonight and we think that Arsenal have a decent chance in Europe's Premier Club competition this season we'll talk about that next on Football Social Daily Final part of today's show and tonight, lads, it's the return of the Champions League for Arsenal. Yes, Joel, you have to sit through the pain of listening to that Champions League music again. Um, I guess you too as well, Marley, after you were knocked out at the group stages, but Arsenal's still in. Still my ringtone. (laughs) (laughs) Arsenal's still in. They've got Porto tonight. First leg of their last 16 tie. We're expecting them to win, aren't we? Not just the last 16, but I know, Joel, you've kind of hinted that they're good enough to go on and win the whole thing. Not the whole thing. Come on, steady your horses now. I'm sure you've mentioned that they're good enough to win the Champions League. I said League. they should at least get to the semi-finals. I mean, after okay. that, it's anybody's. corrected. But I loved Diogo Costa, Porto's goalkeeper's comments in his pre-match press conference. Absolutely loved it. Arsenal fans were almost getting their heads in a twist when he mentioned the comments of the fact that a reporter asked him, are Arsenal such considerable favourites for the tournament? Do you think that they're total favourites to win it? And he said, well, they're going to have to come and prove it to our stadium. We've seen a lot of weaknesses in Arsenal, so they have to come and prove it that they're favourites. And I like that because 
Porto, in terms of European success, are massive compared to Arsenal. Like, let's put it out well, there. Porto have won a Champions League and Arsenal haven't. Exactly. So, you know, respect, man. Respect, in the words of Jose Mourinho, <laughs> who actually brought it to um, Porto, both of their UEFA Cup when it was and the Champions League, which everyone forgets. And I think in this certain game, I know in Porto in the, in the uh, Portuguese League, the third at the moment, they're not as top tier as they usually are every single season. But it's still a difficult, difficult stadium, the drag out to go to, especially for English clubs in the past. I mean, I remember the first time an English club actually won there was in 2009 when Ronaldo scored that goal from 40 yards and it just went straight past the keeper. Historically, it's a really difficult ground to go and win at. Granted, it's not been as hard, but for Arsenal, you know, Champions League, this is something that they had to improve in in terms of their form. I mean, they've not touched anywhere close to the semi-final since 2009, which is a long, long time for Arsenal. So I just loved the fire that Costa brought to it. And I know Arsenal fans hated it, but you know, like I said, you got to respect it. They're, they're, they're a historic club when it comes to Europe. He's the, uh, he's the goalkeeper you should have, should have signed in the summer because he was linked to you, wasn't yeah. he? And he ended up going for an honour instead. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> you could have had that little housery in... Uh, much closer, you know, closer to home. But It's funny because Arsenal used to spend all season scrambling to finish in the top four under Arsene Wenger just after the Emirates had been built when they were trying to sort of save a few quid. And Wenger would get them into the top four only for them to reach the last 16 and be knocked out by someone <laughs> and then go and do it all over again the next season. Usually Bayern Munich, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, Bayern. It was always Bayern, wasn't it, where they win like 10-2 on aggregate. <laughs> yeah, Bayern would <laughs> just kill them every year. Well, they'll need to get past Porto if they are going to try and set up a glamour tie with Bayern. I'm sure Arsenal fans, you'll be able to hear the groaning from North London if Bayern do come out of the hat. Speaking of Bayern Munich, actually, just while we're on the topic, Thomas Tuchel looks like he's going to leave the club at the end of the season. That's been announced this morning, which might actually change the dynamic when it comes to who replaces him with Xabi Alonso, of course, doing so well at Bayer Leverkusen. It looks likely that they're going to win the Bundesliga title, much to the chagrin of Harry Kane. But Liverpool need a new manager at the end of the season, and so do Bayern. If Xabi Alonso is the man in demand, where does he go? This is, uh, it's it's poetic, isn't it? He's got, you think about him and you think, yeah, he's going to Liverpool. <clears throat> and then Bayern think, hmm, Here's a really talented person in Germany. What we usually do if they don't play for us is buy them, whether it's a player or a manager or whatever it is. And then you remember Xabi Alonso also played for Bayern Munich and, and you know, he's got links there. He's got every link he's got to Liverpool. He's also got to Bayern because he played for both teams. Um, it'd be interesting if Real Madrid job came up as well. Would he be interested in that? Having been there as well. Because um, you probably wouldn't back him you're back into his pick of jobs almost because he's he's doing that well with Leverkusen. I think they're eight points clear now because um, Bayern lost at the weekend to, was it Bochum or someone they lost to? Someone, yeah, someone pretty poor. Um, so yeah, um, it'd be interesting, but I do think the Bundesliga is completely dead if Leverkusen win the league and the manager goes to Bayern. I mean, how many times have we said it Look, every player that does well in, in in Germany ends up at Bayern. Lewandowski at Dortmund scores loads of goals, goes to Bayern. Recently, you've had Rafael Guerrero um, in the summer. You've had Nicolas Sula over the years, Leon Goretzka. Just countless players just go to Bayern and they hoover them up. And it's 
to look, I, I get that they've worked for that and that is the pull of Bayern Munich. However, from an outside point of view, it's just frustrating if, you know, if you have such an achievement of, of knocking them off the perch and then you go and join them. That's just, it's, it's such anti-competition. I think the the right thing to do would be go to Liverpool uh, if you were Jabby Alonso because it's a similar challenge ex- the, that you've done at Leverkusen as in get somebody to knock a team off the perch. But I would say Liverpool are closer to Man City than Leverkusen were to Bayern. So it's almost like that squad is almost set up to to properly challenge for the next five years, ten years, maybe however long you want to give it. So, just before we go back to Arsenal, away goals in the Champions League. No, do not miss that extra added bit of drama. I was going to say I enjoyed the fact that going away to a really big team and getting that one away goal it just felt like a victory, like a really big victory. It but- gave the Champions League a point of difference. That's why I miss it. Yeah, but why? Why should a goal? count more than another goal no I, t- I totally get the reason why it's not there anymore i just miss the excitement i think it provides like i said a point of difference like basically since they've taken it away i don't think the champions league's been as exciting because we need to see more penalty shootouts <laughs> we need to see if it's level after 90 straight to penalties it's probably why atletico madrid haven't been so successful because they just get a one nil away victory and just sit for the next game at the calderon and just do nothing chelsea won the champions league doing it how exciting was that it wasn't. Torres around the keeper. That was well exciting. It were too. It was too fair. So yeah. Anyway, sorry. That was that was just a thought off the top of my head. My next question was: Are we expecting Arsenal to get through against Porto? No away goals, obviously. But would they take a draw, scamper back to the Emirates, or do they need to be expecting to win? No, I think they, I think they can blow them away tonight. Honestly, I don't think Porto are as good. I know I've been hyping up Diogo Costa's comments, but I think when it gets on the pitch, I do think Arsenal have it in them to completely finish the tie-off tonight. Uh, but hopefully, they end up getting absolutely pummeled. Uh, pummeled? Wow. Uh, I think I think they're just the timing of this is wrong for Porto. I think you're looking at Arsenal coming into the back of this off. Have they scored five and six in the past two games? But no, I just think you're getting the best Arsenal right now. Um, probably the best they've been all season. And... They're hungry for the Champions League again because they've not been in it for a few years and they will fancy going further and, and further, you know, onto the last eight minimum. So I think um I think Arsenal are gonna gonna do them. Alright, well Arsenal against Porto is the game in the Champions League tonight. It is in the Stadio de Dragao in Porto. So we will reflect on that game tomorrow on Football Social Daily. We'll also look back at Liverpool's clash with Luton tonight in the Premier League. So hit subscribe or follow. And that way you won't miss any future episodes of Football Social Daily. That's the best way to stay in touch. You can also keep in touch with us on the Telegram group. So click the link in the description. All of the links to the social media pages are there as well. But that is it from us for today. We'll speak to you tomorrow on FSD. Catch you then. Football Social Daily is a voice work sport production for the Sports Social Podcast Network.